0: guys, welcome back to the Teen Life Podcast. Chris Roby here with Carly Duke and we are, are launching to part two of our interview with Casey McCollum. If you didn't listen to part one, take a little time and go do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rewind. Yeah, yeah, we really encourage you to do that because he really lays the groundwork of what the Enneagram is, the basic structures and the ways that it functions and moves. On this side of the episode, actually, tell us a little bit about, about what he talks about.
1: Sure. So I don't want to give too much away, but this in this episode, Casey's really going to start to dive into the numbers. He's going to talk about different messages and disciplines that you hear or can work on with each number. And so once again, he is doing a brief overview keep listening to the rest of the series if you're interested. If you have listened to the last one and went and found out your number and you've done some research or you think you might know your number, keep listening because each guest is going to bring a different perspective to the Enneagram. And that's what I love about this series is they're all three different numbers and they're coming at this from completely different perspectives. And so maybe you'll hit on one of them and you'll just really connect with the enneagram. But this next message an interview with Casey was a great one.
0: And he really gets practical on this one where he talks about like spiritual practice, if, you know, the enneagram is really tied to spirituality and deepening that aspect of your life. But also these childhood messages are really fascinating. He actually kind of pegs me a little bit on, on one of them just on being a 9 and you know, some things that could happen during childhood that messages that you that you hear and messages that you don't hear. And so this is a, a, the really practical side of this podcast. We're really excited to uh, present to you uh, part two of our interview with Casey McCollum. Enjoy.
1: So let's actually get into some of the numbers now. Okay. Um, and can you talk about what are the childhood messages for each number?
2: Sure. So, um, yeah, so the Enneagram teaches that, that each of the nine personalities formed, uh, in part at least, in reaction to certain childhood messages. So we all were obviously shaped by our, our childhood and, and parenting and other adults in our life. And the, the the teaching and the theory goes that we kind of put on one of these nine types in response to these messages. And, and the type actually kind of served us well in childhood in response to those messages. But what happens is we, we kind of adopt certain... Patterns of behavior, certain defense mechanisms, and compulsions that we continue to use into adulthood when they no longer serve us well. So it served us well in childhood, but we kind of cling to those things, and they kind of harden into adulthood when they no longer serve us well. And we need to kind of let go of those. And so I think they are—they are really helpful. They Rizzo and Hudson are two Enneagram teachers, and they're—they're they're the ones that kind of pioneered the childhood messages. Um. And, you know, I, I want to say this before we get into the messages that um, I think it's really important for people to have grace for themselves um, around these childhood messages because w- before, you know, we, it's easy to start judging our parents and start judging ourselves as parents as we go through these childhood messages and to think, oh, no, I'm ruining my child or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, the reality is, we, we, no matter what we do, it's going to affect our ch- our children and some of that's going to be negative, but it's really, I think it is helpful to, to know some of these yeah. things. So, um, so yeah, so let's just go through these. There's, there's two messages for, um, each type and one is called the wounding message and the other one's called the loss message. So the wounding message is the, the one that this type did here. So, Um, this is the one they did hear and and this could have been explicit or not from their parents. This is just what this type kind of picked up from their environment. So it could have been from teachers or youth ministers or whatever. And then the lost message is the one that, um, that was not heard, but needed to, Hmm. right? So we all had things in our childhood that we needed to hear from caregivers and other adults that we just didn't quite get. So there's the wounding message, the one you did hear that kind of wounded you and the lost message, the one they didn't hear, but really needed to so for eights, I'm going to start with, with eight nines and ones and kind of um, in that, that first triad there, the gut triad or the top. So eight nines and ones. So eights, the, the wounding message um, for them is that the world is hostile and only the strong survive. So, um, you know, eights often report that they kind of had to grow up pretty quickly. There's kind of a loss of innocence for eights. And so that's kind of, that's kind of why they're so strong and aggressive, frankly. Is in their childhood they whether it was trauma or neglect or abuse or something. That's this is not for all eights, but many eights talk about losing their innocence early because this is the message they picked up that the world is hostile and only the strong survive. And so the lost message, the one they didn't hear but needed to, was that you will not be betrayed. Mm-hmm. So eights eights are really big on watching out for betrayal, um, for for being. Um, taken advantage of that kind of thing. They're just very aware of that. Um, and so, um, so again, we have these childhood messages and and what happens is we, we kind of take on this type in childhood to kind of mitigate those messages, but they long into adulthood, they don't serve us anymore. And so, so eights that kind of grew up in a really chaotic environment that kind of served them well, right? If there was abuse or neglect or, or trauma, an eight personality type would actually help a child. You see that? Like this is the type that would be strong and assertive and push back. And, but then when they get married or they grow up, um, that those defense mechanisms kind of keep them from vulnerability and intimacy when they need to let go of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so that's, that's the eight. Um, so the nine, what they did here, the wounding was that it's not okay to assert yourself. So nines are, you know, they're, they're, um, they they just don't feel like their voice matters a lot. They don't feel like their presence matters a lot. And this started really early on. This is kind of what, what they picked up on that, you know, a lot of nines tell me that they spoke up as a kid, whether it was a preference on what the family should do or whatever, and it just wasn't heard or it was kind of dismissed or it just wasn't um, embraced. And so that's their wounding message. And then the last message is your presence matters. That That's what they didn't hear much growing up, but really needed to. Um so uh Chris, I'm curious, did this resonate with you as a nine, these any of this childhood stuff? Yeah. Your presence uh, matters and it's not okay to assert yourself.
0: Yeah, um I don't know too deeply into my childhood like specific things. Um but the uh uh I I walk through adulthood a lot of times not thinking that what I say really matters Mm -hmm. or um or or that will that will sometimes make me angry that, mm-hmm. that I'm not being heard or that that will cause some frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm um, at I my mean, group in a great house and I, I mean, tr- you know, tr- we traveled a lot. Um, we, or sorry, we lived lots of places because hmm. of military stuff, but do not if that's some of it, but, um, but yeah, that,
2: uh, bet, I'm, I'm curious. Uh-huh. So just moving around a lot, it's like, you you didn't choose that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, here we go. Yep. We're going to Florida. We're mm-hmm. going to Arizona. To Germany. So yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, talk about you know, other types as kids would react to that very differently. But mm-hmm. the nine is okay. It's mm-hmm. like my presence doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Whether I want to go or not, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yep. We just gotta you just gotta go along. Yeah. And and to say, I don't wanna go or I'm tired of this would cause conflict, mm-hmm. which you try to avoid all at, at all costs, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. I could see that that childhood pattern playing out for sure. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and it it, de- it definitely you know follows me around um, as an adult as well. I mean, and, and and you know, and that and that that the the lost message, man, that's uh that'll get to you if you really dwell on that. <laughs> yep. Um, in a good way, you know, yep. just that yeah, people actually care about what you think, and that's right. it's important that you show up and that's all right. that stuff. Yeah, yep,
2: that's exactly right. Yeah. Good. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. So so back to the numbers. So wounding for the one. Is it's not okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to make mistakes. So my my wife's a one, and we we're pretty sure my father in law is a one also. And my my wife is is really smart, very smart, you know, um, scholarships in college, and took all AP classes in high school. And she, uh, my my wife would come home in high school with like a a test from AP biology and she had gotten like a 98 on this AP biology test and her, her dad, and she would go to her dad and, and she would say, look, dad, I got a 98 on this test. And her dad would say, that's great, but what could you do next time to Mm -hmm. get a hundred? Right. And so, um, you know, is, is that bad parenting? Well, no, not really. But, but a one, here's that, because their wounding message is it's not not okay to make mistakes. So a one can hear that differently because often ones equate love with perfection, right? And so to be loved and valued, they have to be kind of perfect. So that's their wounding message, it's not okay to make mistakes. And then their lost message is you are good. Period. That you're good, not not for being perfect, but just for who you are. Um, so that's the that's the wounding and lost for ones. Um, so twos what they did hear the wounding message is that expressing your own needs will lead to rejection. And then the lost message is you are wanted, just period. You're wanted for who you are. So, um, you know, a lot of twos that I've talked to report, um, not experiencing unconditional love as kids, that the, that the love that they, at least their perception of it was that it was conditional, that, um, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Carl, in your mm-hmm. second, but that, that they they kind of earned love by being helpful, right? Being the giver and the helpful one. That it wasn't it wasn't unconditional. They kind of had to had to be be helpful, um, and and that if they did express their own needs, that that it would fracture relationships or lead to to rejection. So they just as kids, they just focused on other people and what other people needed and what other people wanted, and then of course that continues long into into adulthood.
1: What's interesting, um, hearing you talk about this, I've got a pretty strong one wing and those kind of overlap a little bit for Mm -hmm. me. Not that I only have, um, the childhood message of a one, but, um, I was the oldest. And so really for me at a young age, I took on what did my brothers need? What does Mm -hmm. my family need? Um, what can I do to impose the least on Mm -hmm. my family? Mm -hmm. Um, and so like the grades and, being good at stuff and having my stuff together and being responsible meant that they didn't have to worry about me. Right. Um, so I hear that I want to say I struggled with the unconditional love. Like Chris said, I grew up in a great family. Um, but good. Interesting to think through the stuff that I probably did because that meant I was valuable in our family.
2: Yep. Yeah. All right. So threes their wounding message is you are what you do. And the lost message is you are loved for yourself, just for being yourself. So, um, and, and along with that comes, you know, the threes are the chameleon, kind of the shapeshifter, the performer and achiever. And, and so they kind of felt the need to, to perform, to be the all-star football player or the all-star youth group kid or whatever it was. And that's kind of where they got their value and worth that that it comes from, from what you do. And it wasn't okay to kind of have your own feelings and to kind of. Do what you want to do, but you had to kind of do this performance thing. And then the force, the the wounding message for fours is there's something off about you. Mm-hmm. And the the loss message is you are seen and fully understood. So fours, you know, fours is a that's a lonely place to be on the enneagram. They often felt from a year, from a young age that there, yeah, that there was just something off about them. They didn't quite fit in. Um, so they kind of bounce around from similar to threes, but in a different motivation. They kind of bounce around from identity to identity or group to group, kind of finding their authentic place um, because they, they just felt like no one sees them or, or fully understands them. Fives, the wounding message uh, for us is that it's not okay to be comfortable or safe in the world. And the, uh, the lost message is, is your needs are not a problem. Um, so I'll quickly tell you how this played out for me. Um, I have an older brother and we were not very close. Um, he's about six years older than me. So there's a big age difference there. But my my parents had two miscarriages and didn't think they could have uh, children. So they adopted my brother. So he's he's adopted. And frankly, he, he just had a lot of problems and issues growing up um, with school and just struggled socially and ended up in prison for, for things and just had a hard, hard road. And he took a lot of energy from my parents, a lot of time and energy from my parents. And in the way I describe it is that he kind of, he, he sucked the oxygen out of our house. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a little kid, I didn't have space and a voice and, and so this lost message just deeply resonates with me of Of your needs are not a problem. That's, that's the lost message. Right. And so I felt like my needs were a problem and I kind of had to figure life out on my own because, and just like Carl, like I, I had a good childhood. My parents were really good and it really was a great childhood, but my brother just took so much time and energy from them that it was like, I did feel like my needs were a problem. Mm. Um, and I, and I, other fives, uh, uh, many fives kind of resonate with that. And so, we kind of retreat to our head, and we kind of figure out life on our own, right? Just intellectually and analyzing and studying and all of that, to because we felt like our needs were a problem and that no one else can really meet them. So, hmm. um, so sixes, the wounding message is it's it's not okay to trust yourself, and the lost message is that you are safe. So um, five, six, and sevens were in the the thinking head triad, and it's also called the anxiety or fear triad often. And sixes are right in the middle of that fear and anxiety triad. And so they deal with, with fear and anxiety quite a bit. And um, they're often looking for other sources of authority to tell them what to think, right? Because they, more than any other number, they don't trust themselves. And you can see this early on with, with kids that don't trust themselves and they don't feel safe. And so they're always looking for, for someone else to kind of guide them. So the sevens, the wounding message is it's not okay to depend on anyone else, and the lost message is you will be taken care of and cared for. Um, you know, it's interesting. Sevens, sevens don't tend to talk a lot about their childhood, but when they do, it's often described as they kind of had to create their own fun. They were kind of the kind of left on their own. It seems like, or at least that's the, their their perception was that I have to kind of create my own world and they've got great imaginations and they, they often just don't feel like they can depend on anyone else um, or that they will be cared for or taken care of. So, um, that's the, that's the sevens. I think I, did I do them all?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yes. got to them all. Okay. Just quick, quick, sure. question. Yeah. Yeah. Are there a lot of middle children who are sevens? Um, or maybe it's just mine. <laughs> and you, I'm got, wondering. you got a middle,
2: you got a sibling? Yeah. No, a, no, 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 yeah. no. My, my, oh, your my, own my middle. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause I, I mean, I know he's way too young to type, but I right. just I see this. Right. Just you know, hoping. I think
2: sevens, uh, well, I think your middle, obviously I don't know you and your family, mm-hmm. but middle children are trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. And sevens on the Enneagram seem like they're trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because they're the fun, adventure, you know, mm-hmm. tell jokes and mm-hmm. class clowns and all that. So there's something to that. A lot of middle children um, can, well, Middle children don't feel like their presence matters, mm-hmm. which is the nine. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. But um, how old are your? How old are you? Oh, kids? he's five. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah it's, it's eight, f- five, and three. Just, right.
0: I'm, a, I'm always fascinated by. There's my wife's a middle child too, but she's a one. Yeah. Um, and so my
2: wife's a middle child, and she's a one yeah, too. So yeah, She's so got, I, a, she's I, got I, a pretty heavy nine wing. Yeah, my wife yeah, does.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. That just that was just a curious question. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, as we as we kind of. But near the end here um talk talk a little bit about some spiritual disciplines that would be you know helpful for each number
2: sure yeah that's a i think that's a really good question um because you know the the enneagram um it really does show a more personalized path for spiritual growth you know because I, as a minister for 15 years we always um whatever church I was a part of we we taught spiritual disciplines but it was always like we use Richard Foster's book or Soul Feast or other stuff, and we would kind of tell the congregation, here's a bunch of different disciplines, just kind of everybody go do them. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you certain numbers aren't going to do certain disciplines, mm-hmm. and so I think the Enneagram can help with this. Um, so, yeah, I'll try, to, I'll try to run through this pretty quickly. And, and, and what I give for each number is, which I think is pretty helpful, I give um, kind of a, a two different disciplines for each number, and what I call them is the downhill discipline and the uphill discipline. Because um, the downhill discipline is is a discipline that kind of comes more naturally for this type, right? Think of downhill skiing or downhill mountain biking. It just comes more naturally. It's easier. Mm-hmm. And then an uphill discipline would be one that's a little bit more challenging for that number, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's harder, but it's one that they really need to do. So this mm-hmm. is kind of what I do in my workshops. I work through this. And I've, I've found that that's really helpful to give people one. If you just give people the hard one, they're they're, they don't, it's kind of discouraging, Mm -hmm. right? So I give them a discipline that they're usually pretty good at or that they're already doing. So I'll just kind of run through this quickly, but, and I'll start with ones this time. So ones, the, the downhill for them, the one that comes easier, um, is actually time in nature. Um, Hmm. and, and also, um, exercise or getting back in their bodies. A lot of ones, tell me that they run a lot or they do yoga, and it's really good for them to get back in their body to kind of quiet that inner critic. You know, the Mm -hmm. one has that inner critic. So it's good for them to get back in their body. And um, the uphill for them is journaling. And journaling is good for all the types, but it's particularly good for ones because ones, what they need to do is, is get some objective distance from what the voice is saying. Right, so they have this critical voice that's going all the time, and if they can write it down, they can observe it, and they can lay scripture against it, and they can say, "Is this really true?" Mm-hmm. Right, and if they don't have that distance, they just get caught in this mental loop, and so they need that distance to really write it down, to figure out what the voice is saying, to deal with it. So um, that's really, really good for them. That's cool. For twos, the downhill is is anything that has to do with hospitality. Right, they're great at um, mm-hmm. you know the The welcoming team at church, or the potlucks, or whatever, that's really good for them. The uphill for them is is called centering prayer, and this is um, this is not just praying for other people or making a, a prayer list for for things. This is really just um, simply being with God and not doing for God or doing for others. It's just a time. It's meditation is another word for it, but it's really great for twos, and frankly, it's really really hard for twos because. Frankly, they have to do it alone, yeah. <laughs> which twos have a hard time being alone, <laughs> right? But it really is just being with God and not not doing for God, but just being in His presence, because it forces them to kind of deal with their own stuff inside of themselves, right? right. So for, for threes, um, downhill would be anything like uh, a Bible study plan or a service project, um, because threes really like a goal. It's like, what mm. what's the... The six-week Bible study plan, I can reach that goal, <laughs> I can achieve it, or let's go build a habitat house, right? We can we can complete that. The the uphill for them is confession and sabbath. And of course these are good for everybody, but these are these are really, really challenging for threes because you know an unhealthy three that does all that shape shifting and, and morphing, they need a place where they can just take all the masks off and be themselves, right? And confess to someone that they really trust. This is the way I'm, I've am i been treating people and, and, and just a safe place to confess. And then Sabbath, they just need to rest. Like threes need to just slow down and just rest, which is really, really hard for them. Fours, the, the downhill is solitude and journaling. Um, this gives them space to dream and imagine and be creative and, and get all of their creative juices. And then uphill for them is is celebration and gratitude, because fours have a hard time with kind of celebrating the 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 normal everyday tasks of life, right? Just finding joy in the mundane every everyday tasks of life, and so they need to they need to kind of focus on gratitude. So a gratitude journal, or writing thank you notes to people, things like that to to help them be mm-hmm. grateful. So for us fives, the downhill would be something like a deep Bible study, right? We love to to study and. Um, and to go deep into Scripture and all of that, the uphill for us is uh, service and consistent tithing and community. So we need to work on getting out of our heads, right? Using our hands, giving back, being more generous in in, in um, entering into community and being more generous with our time and energy. So sixes, the downhill. Um, sixes, what's what's really easy for them and and a good downhill for them is communal practices, so things like worship and singing, um, because sixes are big on groups, right? They like institutions and gatherings and groups, and so they they feel very comfortable there. Uphill for them, um, uphill for them is something called a belief journal, and I, I took this from Suzanne, and it's a great discipline for everybody, but it's really really helpful for for sixes particularly. And what this is, is um, it's a journaling exercise for six weeks where you journal for two weeks on your beliefs, what what, what, you, what you believe about God and faith and all that. But the first two weeks is about what you were taught growing up from your community of faith growing up. Then the second two weeks is what your current community of faith teaches you to think and believe. And then the last two weeks is what do I really think? What do I really believe? Because more than any other number, sixes rely on other people's experience of God and not their own because they don't trust themselves. And so it's like just, you know, just tell me what to believe and tell me what to think. And so they need to kind of work mm. on that for their own lives. So 7s, it's celebration uh, celebration and fasting is the downhill. You know, they love parties and 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 I'm sorry, celebration and feasting. <laughs> celebration <laughs> not fasting is the a party fasting, without food. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> well, it's funny. Fasting is the uphill. So, downhill mm. is celebration and feasting, right? Parties, fun. You know, a a new member's lunch at church, put them in charge of that, make it fun and exciting. Um, But then the downhill, I mean, the uphill that's more challenging is fasting and things like silence and solitude, where they have to spend time alone. Again, they don't like that. And just fasting from things, food or social media, and just being still and quiet. Um, Eights, downhill for them is anything that deals with like social justice, like taking up a cause, you know, the homeless ministry, they're just really gifted for that. And then uphill is accountability. And again, we all need that, but they, they need, the eights often don't realize how they come across to people, um, especially unhealthy eights. They're so aggressive and assertive, right? They just don't realize how they come across to people. So they just need somebody that can tell them, Hey, you you know, you're coming on a little strong, so they just need a little accountability. And then downhill for nines is time in nature, um, kind of similar to ones, but it's interesting nines and Chris, I don't know if this is true for you, but. Many, many nines just love to be out in nature. They like mm-hmm. to camp and they like to go on retreats or, you know, walk a labyrinth, that kind of thing where it's because mm-hmm. nature's calm and quiet, right? There's not a lot of distractions and noises. Mm-hmm. And then de- uh, uphill for them is um, fixed hour prayer or some kind of some kind of um, fixed discipline throughout the day that can kind of wake them up. So I've had nines that will set an alarm on their watch, you know, two or three times a day, to say a prayer, or to read some scripture, just to kind of, kind of get them back on track. Because mm-hmm. as you know, the 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 core sin or the core struggle for nines is sloth. Mm-hmm. So nines kind of just, kind of go with the flow and do kind of what's right in front of them instead of kind of waking up and saying, "Here's here's what God has for me today." Mm-hmm. And they need that fixed hour discipline to kind of wake them back up and get them kind of motivated um, to do and so. Um, I know that was kind of a lot, but I hope that was no, that I hope that was, was helpful fantastic. for people to <laughs> that was to fantastic. go through. So.
1: Um, and this next question, we'll put these, um, on our website. So I'll get this oh, that's list a good idea. from you. Great. Um, so if, as Casey's talking through these, we'll have them on our website. You don't have to get out of yeah, pen and paper. That's good. I know, yeah. Um, but what are some other resources that you would recommend, um, on the Enneagram?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So again, the best, the best primer really is the road back to you. Um, and yeah, I would definitely start there. Don't start with the Richard Rohr's book or any other thing. I, I think that's the best place to start. And then Suzanne has a follow-up to that one called The Path Between Us, which gets into so once you know your type, that book gets into how do, you know, how does a two and a nine get along, or how does a five and a two get along, that kind of thing. So it's just real practical. And then if people want to dig deeper, you know, the 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 textbooks, quote unquote, of the Enneagram um, really, are the the wisdom of the enneagram by Rizzo and Hudson, and the the complete enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut, and you know they are they are pretty thick. They kind of get down in the weeds on all the different aspects. But once people um, have a little bit of knowledge, I think they could they could dive into those to to learn a bit more. And then I really love Helen Palmer. She's done a lot of of work on relationships, particularly. Um, I think her work is is really really great. And then, as far as as spiritual growth, uh, Richard War's book is really good for spiritual growth. The the Sacred Enneagram, which you guys may have heard of, is really good by Chris Huritz. Um, and frankly, it's that book's really good for kind of our tradition and our tribe and youth pastors and Church of Christ and more evangelical audiences because it it de- really gets into contemplative practices for each type um that we didn't grow up with and we didn't really talk about and so that it kind of it'll kind of push your envelope a little bit as far as, as spiritual growth so that's a really good resource um there's a book called self to lose self to find um by marilyn vansell That's really good and it's a it's a uniquely christian perspective on the enneagram um and then of course listening to podcasts is always great and ian, ian and suzanne have, have great um podcasts as well so um yeah those are some because good resources.
0: All right. So as we wrap, um, by the way, this has been fantastic. Okay, good. Yeah. I feel like I've been talking
2: a whole lot, and well, I that's, hope I,
0: but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's why we're paying you. so Okay. Much, so. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that, I mean, but really this has been okay, just good. so informative. Good. Um, but as we, as we, as we wrap kind of last thing we'll ask you is, uh, what would you say to someone who's discovering the Enneagram for the first time?
2: Yeah. So, um, I think the first thing I would say is four words. Don't take online tests. <laughs> Did I already say that? I think I already yeah. said that. Yes. Right? Um, yeah, don't take online tests. Um, actually, another four words would be don't type other people uh-huh. because, you know, it's really, really tempting to, just because the Enneagram is so illuminating and it's like, but then you start typing everybody around you. And really, the you know, one of the worst things you can do, if you, if you really want to turn people off of the Enneagram, talk about it all the time. hmm Right. It's it's people that it's the zealots of the Enneagram and mm-hmm. they just, they're just talking about it all the time and they're typing people around them. And I, I think that that can be just really annoying. And frankly, you'll probably be wrong about their type because as we talked about it, the Enneagram is all about motivation and not behavior. And you're not in their, in their head and in their heart, right? Mm-hmm. You see the behavior, you don't see the, mm-hmm. you don't see the motivation. So don't type right. other people. Um, and then one piece of good advice that, that, um, Susanna shared with the, about the road back to you specifically is in other books as well. If you give somebody a book on the Enneagram, um, don't give it to them and say, I think you are a type three. Here's the book. Go read the type three, right? Mm-hmm. T- instead say, here you go, Chris, I think I'm a type five and I have found this book to be really helpful. Could you help me figure out if I'm a type five? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, and inevitably they'll read that chapter. And if they know you, they'll think, yeah, I think this is exactly who you are and that'll pique their interest. And of course they'll want to read more. So
1: figure out who they are.
2: Exactly. And I see a lot of people that give somebody the road back to you or another book and they, they want to fix that other person or they want to tell them, here's how to fix yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. But make it about you and, and understanding yourself, I think is a, is a really good thing. Um, so, um, and then I'll say this, you know, as you begin, once you know your type and you begin doing some really good Enneagram work, it can be really challenging for the people around you because as you start to work on the issues of your type, they're going to think, what happened to you? You've you've kind of changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people, you know, Suzanne says this all the time, people love you for your type. And as a two or as a five, as a nine, you know, the three of us, when we start working on the issues of our type, people are used to us in our type. And so when we start really working on it, it's like... Where did you go? We mm-hmm. we want the old Carly back mm-hmm. that's helping everybody. Right. But when you start putting up boundaries or you start saying no that and you start getting healthier yourself, it can be hard on people around you. So be mindful of that. I think um, as as people get into working on with the enneagram, I think that's important important to remember as well. And and then finally, the enneagram really is about grace. It's about liberation. Um, it's not just a tool for self knowledge um, or you know creating funny memes on the internet or whatever. It really is, it's a tool for spiritual formation and it's a tool to to grow in Christ-likeness and to figure out what I need to let go of to, to be the person that, that God's created us to be.
1: Hey guys, it's Carly Duke and I'm just back to check in after this part two episode of Casey McCollum. We're just so thankful for Casey and his expertise on the Enneagram, but we're super excited about the guests that we have coming up next too. So stay tuned and keep listening. We have Beth McCord and her interview next, and then we will also have Suzanne Stabile releasing a little bit later. Um, And so these are two women that you really want to hear from about the Enneagram. And so keep listening. All the resources, Casey at the end of this interview listed a ton of books and a ton of great resources if you're interested in the Enneagram. All of that will be listed on our website, www.teenlifepodcast.com. So you can find all that listed. If you didn't take notes in the interview, it's totally fine. We've done the hard work for you. So go check that out. And then also go rate and review us and on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast. We would really appreciate that. And that'll help us get out to more people who are helping teens. So come back, keep listening. And thanks for joining us today.